0: You know, uh, singing is a is a gifting and a ministry, isn't it? it? It absolutely is. It's one that many of us don't possess, by the way. Uh, but what is your what is your ministry? What is your what is your gifting? Your area of service? You thought about that much? You know, if you're a Christian, you do have a spiritual gift. I believe most people have more than one spiritual gift. And that God has gifted you or called you to, to serve him and to serve his church and to serve others. What is, your, what is your ministry? Well, honestly, tonight, I can't look at all of you and tell what specific areas of ministry or gifting that you do have. But I can tell you one general area of ministry that every one of us are called to tonight. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We were in 1 Corinthians 7 this morning. I know it gets a little confusing. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 this evening. And this is what I want to challenge you to do. This is a ministry I want to challenge you to embrace. And that's this. Be a great encourager. Be a great encourager. This is a little more involved than just simply being a rah-rah person, but a rah-rah person is, is, uh, is wonderful. It's, it's building people up. And you are called to do this. Again, I, I said this a moment ago. You know, it's not going to matter how many singing lessons I take, how much I practice. The only way Wayne's ever going to let me sing a solo is if I threaten his job. You know, and then he's going to do it, and he's going to do it, uh, and file a suit about coercion from me. So, you know, there's some things that no matter how hard you try or how hard you want to do it, you just you're not gifted, and you don't have the ability or the talent uh, to do it. When I was little, my parents thought they would culture my little brother and I, and they made us take piano lessons for uh, for about a year or two. And after the piano teacher. She only lived on a one-story house, so it didn't hurt her. But when she jumped out of the window a couple of times, they realized that this wasn't working. That just wasn't my gifting. That that wasn't going to happen. But every person in this room can be someone who lifts other people up, who makes other people better. And the neat thing about this is that this is needed in your home. It's certainly needed in the church. It's needed where you work. It's needed everywhere that you are. So I want us to walk through this encouraging passage and see some of the wonderful thing it teaches, it, the things it teaches about being an encourager. Here's the first thing. This is interesting. Always check your motives. Always always check your heart. Well, I want to build people up. I want to be an encourager. It's important where this comes from. In verse 2, Make room for us in your hearts. We're going to go back to that too in a moment. We have wronged no one, Paul says. We have corrupted no one, and we have exploited no one. Paul was saying to these people here, they'd accused him of all kinds of things. They had been nasty to him. They'd been rough on him. Paul said, look, when it comes to you people, my hands are clean and my heart's clean. I've done right by you. My heart's been right by you. I'm I'm encouraging you. I am... Trying to minister to you from the right spot in my heart. You know, being an encourager and being an uplifting person, it's important that it comes from a a good heart. What's the difference between flattery and encouragement? By the way, the Bible condemns flattery very directly. Flattery is about you. Encouragement's about them. If I flatter you, I say, oh, how beautiful you are, how wonderful you are, what a great job you are. I'm doing that Either I want to make myself look good, I want to put myself in a good position with you, I want to, I want to uh, indirectly elevate me and your sight, whatever it is, why encouragement and building people up is about them. I read an article this week, a psychologist was talking about praise and encouragement. And he called it smart praise. He said people eventually see through what's shallow or insincere encouragement or praise. And in fact, when they begin to see that it's insincere, they not only dislike you, but obviously the encouragement's not much good anymore when they realize that you're telling them they do a good job no matter how kind of a job that they do, or that you're doing it for your motives or for them. Listen, build people up. From a sincere place in your heart, I'm going to tell you how to do this. Or the Bible is in a moment. You go. Well, I know some people are just complete buffoons. There's still some things we can encourage about them. Now, here's the flip side of this. I knew some ministers in Texas years ago that I don't know if they'd gone to a conference. You know, you can you can get weird on anything in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, be it Christmas trees to be it uh, end, end of times, we know people go weird on that. But, I mean, it can be anything, the, you know, the, the barn that Jesus was been at, People can get weird. And these guys got weird on encouragement. And they so much didn't want to flatter anybody, they walked around like this. And I guarantee you, after a special music like Marcia, they got up and they probably, it was okay, wasn't it? They they could not say anything good to anybody because they were so worried about having a bad heart. Listen, pray and ask God to give you pure motives, but don't don't let that keep you back and be silly about that. You ought to check your motives in everything that you do. Encouragement needs to come from the right spot. Now, here he lays out some ways that we encourage each other. And this this first thing's interesting to me. He says, make room for... In your heart for other people. Now, if you get e-thoughts, I wrote a little devotional thought about this on, on Friday. But listen to how he starts. Make room for us in your hearts. Folks, encouragement and love begins here. He's saying, I don't want you to be tight in your heart. I don't want there to be a tightness, not angina, physical angina, maybe spiritual angina, of your heart. What is a person like who is tight financially? They hold on to their billfold. I'm not talking about frugal. I'm talking about somebody tight. They don't want to give. They don't. They're not generous. And if they do, they're always regretting, it, aren't they? Go ahead, you can have some money, you know. And they make you feel bad about it. That a person who's tight in their heart is not. They don't have an openness. They don't have space and room in their life for other people. Now, now listen, this is real subtle, but this is real important. Some of us tonight, we don't love people as we should. We don't build them up because we got a, we got a really tight wall around our heart. I, I have heard people through the years make this statement. Well, I've been hurt a lot in my past. So I don't let anybody in. I guard my heart tightly. I'm not going to be too open. I'm not going to be intimate and close to people. And you know what? Those people, as I've watched them through the years, they don't have a lot of friends. They never enjoy life like they should. Sure, if you open your heart up, you're going to be hurt. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be let down. But but that's life, isn't it? Would you rather live uh, in a safe little cocoon and know little joy, or would you rather open up your heart and embrace people? That's what God says. Listen, loving people, encouraging people, open up their hearts. Friend, you've got more room in your heart than just for your four and no more. Amen? Now, we're not a small church. I mean, figuratively, when you have seven or 800 people in worship and the average church in America has about 70, we're not a small church, but we still need to watch this. Small churches and small communities, and Ruston really is a small community, have a tendency to be closed, don't they? Because everybody has their four and they don't need any more. What's what Paul's saying here? He's saying, if you want to build people up, if you want to build into people's lives, if you want to make a different people's difference in people's life, you've got to open your heart. Have an openness and a freedom in your heart. Now, here's the next thing he says about encouragement. This may sound weird, but this really is part of building people up. Be open and honest with people. We're going to talk again about the rah-rah part of encouragement in just a moment, which is great. But listen, if you're going to help people be the best they can be, you have to be willing to be open and honest. Now, obviously, they have to be willing to hear that, too. Look what he says in verse 3. I do not say this to condemn you. When you start a sentence like that, you're probably fixing to say something, or at least in the next few sentences, that are tough. He says, I've said before, we would die for you. Verse 4 is an interesting verse. He begins, he says, I have great confidence in you. Uh, Another understanding of kind of what he was saying here is he was saying is, is I'm going to be bold in what I say to you. I have enough confidence in you that I'm going to tell you some things that you need to hear. And you jump down to verse 8. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Now listen to what he says, though I did regret it. I see my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. We don't possibly don't have the letter that Paul was talking about here, or maybe in 1 Corinthians, where he does rough them up pretty good at uh, time to times. But listen, one of the things Paul did, Paul was an encourager, but Paul told people the loving truth. And you've got to do that. You've got to tell people the loving truth. Most of us don't like to hear the truth when it's not flattering and incurred positive, right? But how are we going to get better? How are other people going to get better? It's interesting in the Greco-Roman world that Paul lived in, they valued this openness and frankness of speech. And they, In fact, they said in a free society, one of the greatest things you had was the ability to be candid with people. They said one of the highest virtues there was in friendship was the ability to be honest with people think of the greatest athletes of all time whether it's a tiger wood or a muhammad ali or some of those people listen you know through the years they got a lot of attaboys but they got a lot of corrections too they got a lot of coaching they got a lot of teaching i remember someone telling me years ago great leaders do two things they're always kind but they're always clear you understand that They'll tell you the truth, but they do it in a nice way. It's easy to to mess up on both of those, isn't it? How many of you ever heard the name David Livingston? I'll tell you more about him in just a second. When he was a young man many, many years ago in Scotland, he wanted to be a preacher. His great desire was to be a great preacher and a missionary preacher, too. And so he got ready for one of his first sermons. He had prepared, he had studied, he had prayed, and he got up and he preached, and it was an absolute lead balloon, a flop. I mean, it was not good at all. And after it was over, a guy named Bob Moffat, who was a missionary, came up to him and didn't say, David, that was the greatest message I've ever heard. Brother, you're going to set the world on fire from the pulpit. Here's what he said, David, God's got a great plan for you you got a brilliant mind. Have you ever thought about medical school? Well, there's a desperate need on the mission field for doctors. David Livingston went to medical school, became one of the greatest and most famous missionary doctors of the the modern era. It was tough words. It was honest words, but it was words that changed his life forever. Listen, part of encouragement is never being brutally mean it's being lovingly honest. That's part of building people up and helping them be better. It's being open and honest with people. Now, let's pause real quick. Here's a, here's a, a kind of a rule of thumb I want to live by. Um, if you want to be open and honest with someone, can they be open and honest with you? You know, uh, sometimes people like to come with us and tell it like it is, brother. Okay, put your seatbelt on because I, I should have the opportunity to tell you like it is too. True? So be open and honest, but don't be a jerk. If you're going to be open with people, you need to be able to receive feedback too. That, I don't, that wasn't in my sermon notes, but that's a real good thought, isn't it? Uh, it to, to always keep your heart open in that way too. Okay, now let's talk about this. Build them up. We're going to be open and honest with people. We're making room in our hearts. That's where it starts. Some of us this evening are too tight-hearted. We're not letting people in our lives. We don't love them like we should because we've got our four and we don't need any more. Open your heart. Be willing to be open and honest and build them up. Build them up. Use your, use your words, number one, to, to, to build them up. Paul says in verse 3, I've said that before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Someone to look you in the eye and say, listen, I will live with you or I will die with you. That is a pretty wonderful thing to say. In verse 4, he says that I have great confidence in you. Whether he's saying here I'm speaking with boldness or my confidence in you, he says, I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all of our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. Wow, that's some great words, isn't it? Now listen, what's interesting, Paul lived in a world where men did not do this, and men still struggle with this. Men still struggle with being as open and, and clear and positive as they should be sometimes. Paul lived in a world where there was a popular philosophy called Stoism, Stoic philosophers. And listen, this was a writing of a Stoic philosopher in Paul's day. So this was the mindset of a lot of the people. That they said that to, to express especially positive emotions like a man doing that was a sign of weakness. So here's what some of their philosophies was. They said from, that, that you should practice this from morning to evening. Begin with the small things like a pot or a cup and advance to your tunic or a dog or a mere horse or a bit of land. Then to yourself and your body And its members, your children, your wife, and your brothers, look about on every side and cast these things away from you. Purify your judgments for fear, lest you be attached to them are grown together with them, and they may give you pain when they turn loose. Do you understand what he was saying there? Don't don't let your heart get too involved with people, even your husband or your wife, because if you do... You're going to just get hurt. It's in the middle of that, Paul says, open your hearts to people. It's in the middle of that, Paul says, listen, I want you guys to know I would live or die for you. I am so proud of you is what Paul says. Now, how do you build people up? Well, it's easy with your words. You, you find something they're doing right and you, and you share it with them. You find something good about them and you say something positive. You say it's tough sometimes. Sure, it's tough sometimes. But you can find something I mean, you can look at somebody and say, man, you've got nice hair. Or maybe they're going bald, and you can say, you've got a nice head. Or you can say, you've got a nice, nice smile, and you've got pretty teeth. Or if you're from where my kinfolk are in Arkansas, you can say, you have a pretty tooth. I mean, think about that. But what I'm saying is there's always something that we can find to encourage and build up. And other people Use your words to build them up. Now, he also says this, which I think is interesting. You build people up by your example, by how you do life. In verse 7, he says, And not only by Titus's coming was I encouraged or comforted. He says, He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Listen to what he says. Paul says, By the way, the Corinthians treated Titus, it encouraged him. Have you ever thought about this? You You encourage people by your example, by your smile, by your faithfulness, by your kindness. People watch what you and I do and how we do life. And by our very life, Listen on the flip side, of this by our very life, we encourage people, or we discourage people. You see, we should encourage by our words, but we should also encourage by our example. Here's a third thing he says we can use to encourage, and that's our very presence. Just being there, in verse 6, he says, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by your coming, by the coming of Titus. The word comfort there means to exhort, to build up, or to bless. Paul says this, Titus, by you simply being here, it encouraged me. I talked to several months ago when we talked about grieving and how one of the important ministries of grieving is just the ministry of your presence. Of just being there. Well, I don't know what to say. Or I've got to have the right words. And a lot of times when we try to say the right words, we say dumb words. Because most of us are not highly trained and skilled grief counselors. But a lot of times, all you need to do is just be there. The, the ministry of presence, of your positive presence. I read a story this week of a, a lady who was running a marathon. And, you know, marathon is 26.2 miles. And she got at the 11-mile mark, and she said, I I just cannot go on. There was a station there with drinks and stuff. And she told the lady at the station, she said, call for somebody to get me. I cannot go on. I can't even complete a half a marathon today. And one of the ladies she'd never met before in her life said, you can make the half marathon. You can do it. She said, I can't. The lady said, I'll run the next half marathons. Obviously, it's 13.1 miles. She said, I will run it with you. This complete stranger begins running with this woman for another two miles. never touches her hardly says a word to her but enabled her to finish a half a marathon which i can barely do in a car and she enabled helped her to finish that by her simply being there do you know you encourage or you discourage by your presence so many of you tonight i look around you you encourage by your being here do you know that when I first got here, this was 2003, a, few, a couple of millennia ago, it seems like, doesn't it? I remember talking to a person, and they, they had joined our church, and they, I asked them, I said, do you ever come on Sunday nights? And, and they said, well, back, uh, back a few years ago, I came on Sunday nights, but there wasn't hardly anybody there, so I quit coming. He goes, does it matter if I'm here? Sure, it does. Sure, it does. All it takes is a number of people to say it matters to be here, and it begins to roll in a positive way. All it takes is people to begin to say it doesn't matter if I come, and we won't be doing Sunday night service anymore. Your presence is huge. By you being there for someone or you being faithful, your example, it, it builds people up. And, folks, I want to tell you the next thing. People need this. Man, people, people need this. I love what Paul says in verse 5. For when we came into Macedonia, the, this body of ours had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. Some people think conflicts on the outside may have been saying Paul was having trouble from people outside of the church and conflicts from within with problems with people in the church. We don't know for sure, but Paul was saying, listen, things out here, circumstances are bad, and I'm full of anxiety, I'm I'm, I'm nervous and upset on the inside. And then look what happened in verse 6. But God, who comforts the downcast." comforted us by the coming of Titus, how he helped Paul. You see, when you use your words, maybe sometimes it's just honesty, maybe it's not necessarily initially positive, but it's meant to help. When you encourage with your words, when you encourage with your presence and your example, you help people. You help people. I saw a scientific study that said that when you come to people and you are encouraging to them, it has almost the same effect on their mind that handing them a $20 bill does. Now, here's what I want to encourage you to do. To me, do both of those. You know, get a double up here on both sides of the brain. But isn't that interesting how that coming to someone and sincerely saying, attaboy, keep it up, good job, almost has the same mental effect as handing them a check. Isn't that great? Now, I know what you're thinking now. All your ministers need to work for encouragement. That encouragement doesn't pay the bills, though. That's the only problem with that scientific study. Amen? That's where, where it falls. Years ago, I heard something that stuck with me, and I've never forgotten it. There was a family... And one of, one of the kids was kind of a, well, they were the one that needed, you could find the tooth to praise, but you had to do a lot of truth encouragement too. And I think that, I think one of the parents, the daddy, had grown weary, rightly so, of, of, of the situation. And he, unrightly so, had just kind of taken his, not in a, he wasn't mean, but he just kind of took himself out of the life of this child, adult child. One of the other kids told the daddy, Listen, they need you to affirm them. They need your affirmation. Yes, you don't need to approve of their sinful behavior, but they need to hear that you love them and that they got a nice tooth and nice hair, whatever. And the dad said, I just can't do it. He died unexpectedly. Uh, the other child lived for, for a while and, and died early, too. And in talking with the family, I, I think that other child never really psychologically was healthy because they never heard dad just say, I don't like a lot of things you do, but I love you. People need to be encouraged, they need the truth. But they need to be encouraged. Let me give you one last thought this evening. This is God-like behavior. You know, when we do this, we're being like Jesus. Again, in verse 6, God who comforts the downcast. By the way, the Holy Spirit is called, one of his jobs is the comforter. God who comforts the downcast, comforted us, encouraged us, lifted us up by the behavior, the coming of Titus. Ephesians 5.1, it says, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Did you know when you were honest with people, sincere, you tell them hard truths, but you build them up in your life, your example, your presence, your faithfulness, and your words, you encourage people, and you move them forward, and you push them up, you were doing God-like work. Isn't that awesome? You want to do God-like work, you can go out to to Lake Darbone and try to walk on the water to be like Jesus. (laughs) I'll go to McDonald's tonight and buy you a couple of Big Macs and fries and see if you can multiply that so my family doesn't have to buy our supper this evening. That would be God-like behavior. That's pretty tough to pull that off, isn't it? But every person can be God-like in our willingness to open our hearts and encourage God. And build people up and help people. Every one of us can be. A lady was getting off an airplane, and as she was getting off, you know how the pilots are standing there, and they were waiting to, before they could disembark and get off. And she began to talk to one of the pilots about how good time they had made coming home. And he said, well, most of the flight, we were going 500 miles an hour. And we had a 150-mile-an-hour tailwind. If you're on a plane, tailwind is good, okay? And so, in essence, we were traveling, you know, over 600 miles an hour with that tailwind. But he said, here's what's interesting. There was planes coming the opposite direction at the same time that were going 500 miles an hour that were flying into a headwind of 150 miles an hour. And the pilot said, if you think about that, he said, it's not strict mathematical here, but he said, if you think about that, there's almost a 300-mile-an-hour difference based on whether the wind's at your back or if it's blowing against you. Be a tailwind. don't, Don't make life rougher on people. Again, you're not going to help them by giving them false praise. Telling them they can sing when they probably need to keep it in the shower. You're not going to help people by not being honest with them. That's part of encouragement. But be a tailwind. Make people better. Make people be lifted up. Encourage people It's God-like behavior, and man, does the world need this. And you can give it. So here's what we need to do. If you're a Christ follower tonight, I want to challenge you. Maybe just where you're standing, you certainly come to the altar, but make a decision to be an encourager. Make a decision to incorporate those things in your life so that this ministry can be a ministry That you excel at. Maybe you need to repent because you've been a discourager. God has not called you to that. Satan has. God is not. You'd like to join the church tonight. One way you can do that. When we stand, just come. We'll be down here waiting on you. We'd love for you to. Or if you're not a Christian. You know, I said this earlier. The Holy Spirit is a comforter and encourager. And if you're not a Christian, what you need more than anything else is that encourager in your heart. And when we stand, let's stand, you come. We'll be down here waiting to help you with your Christ decision.